to QArt Foundation's Critical Distance podcast series, produced as a part of Meeting Artists' Needs, a professional development program for artists of all ages and backgrounds. QArt Foundation's Meeting Artists' Needs program is generously supported by the Joan Mitchell Foundation. You are listening to Conversation 2, Adapting to Your Place, from Make Some Place, conversations about people, practice, and creative placemaking. This conversation was recorded live at Brooklyn Navy Yard, Building 92. Oh, so again, David Corin of Figment. So, who's been to Figment, participated in Figment, knows about Figment? Does anybody not know about Figment? Okay, so the last time I presented on Figment, last month, I swear I wrote a book this year about Figment, the book came out, we didn't invent set for the last month. I presented Figment, I tried to race right through Figment and not talk that much about it, and just go right into like key issues, thorny things, things I want to talk about. I talked for 10 minutes, the first question was, so what is Figment? <laughs> and so what I'm going to do is talk about Figment for a few minutes and then get to some thorny issues and really try to start setting up a conversation where we will see Reese's work that deconstruct placemaking and talk about gentrification because I really want to. Um, so um, first I'm going to show you a one minute video about Figment that I think sets it up really well. Figment is a collaborative project for tens of thousands of people affecting hundreds of thousands more. What started as a one-day event on an unused island, York Harbor, has grown to 10 annual events in cities around the world, on two continents, all without any corporate sponsorship or advertising. Figment is powered by participation, your volunteerism, your donations, your art, your performance, your play. It's growing around the U.S. and around the world because Figment provides something that people can't find anywhere else. Pure creativity. From Boston, Massachusetts to Geelong, Australia, a thousand artists, a thousand projects, and a thousand volunteers embody the belief that art is more than a commodity, and that what matters is your experience. At Figment, we build a world where we can all play, share, create, and collaborate. Figment is about all of us. So that's Figment in motion. So Figment is this large-scale participatory arts event that we've done 51 times in 17 cities in four continents so far. Uh, it happens about 10 or 12 times a year right now. It's entirely free. There's no corporate sponsorship. And we in- invite the public to come and participate with, with enthusiasm, and, and we have the idea that everybody's an artist. So what that does is brings a lot of joy to people as they participate. I'm going to race through a bunch of pictures and talk through them just to get get to where we can talk about really thorny issues and set up some challenges. Um, example of participants, this is Greg, who's an artist who loves these brightly colored flowers. He's a lawyer by day. And he dives into Figment and makes these things and creates environments. This is him on his bike one year. Loving Figment is his chance to express himself to the world around, to thousands of people. This is Lisa. She was the producer of Figment in Jackson, Mississippi, our third city. She's written on her Figment t-shirt, sometimes you have to create what you want to be a part of. She is creating Figment because she wants to be a part of this, this huge collaborative event for that for, for many, many people. I think it was like a thousand people in Jackson. This is an example of a Figment project. This is called Aqua Attack. This is based on a made-up Japanese video game. Uh, people stand in pools as superheroes and supervillains and then battle with something with stuffed animals. <laughs> what is that? That's an installation, that's a game, that's a uh, that, that's such a project that can only really happen in Figment. Mm-hmm. 
This is my favorite quote ever about Figman. If Figman were a country, it would be the happiest in the world that I would apply for citizenship. <laughs> Coming from BBC Travel, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. um, it's about participation. Everything is participatory. All the arts participatory. It's all interactive. You have to engage with it. That's one of the few criteria our curatorial team uses to pick projects. It's got to be interactive. This is one of the early interactive projects from near the very beginning. Uh, an artist named Harry Spitz bought a chalk marker. He started making chalk outlines. And then we noticed there was chalk there, and other people were filling it in. We're like, oh my god, we've got a wide, we've got a huge collaborative landscape that hundreds of people are contributing to. Here, Art Center came into this a few years later. Uh, they, were, they were brewing in on the theme of America, and so they created a white picket fence. People got to write what America means to them on, on a picket and stake it in the ground as part of this fence. Uh, we've had large-scale art, the Temple of Honor for, for a few years ago, which you could write inside with chalk, write what you thought of writing there. Um, there's performance, lots of performance projects. This is a choreographed hooping project for 100 hoopers. Um, these are some projects we've, we've had in years past that are interactive. These, these, these are eight-sided octagons that can all change. You can, you can uh, change the pattern on this, on this uh, canvas. And that project is made with, with little um, squares that are notched, so you can build the gazebo in different directions. Everyone's invited to figure it It's about bringing people together. We want to get as many people together who are interested in this, who, who see this as something they want to be doing, to be creating and collaborating together. To be the Statue of Liberty from one year on Governor's Island, an African dance workshop from early on. As I said, it's totally free, which people really embrace and love and take it on as their own. We have the idea that everyone's an artist. Artists aren't some rarefied group of people that are geniuses that are special from the rest of us. We all have art inside us, we all have things to say, we all should be heard. And, and we get our first-time artists doing projects for the first time. This is a, this is Kit, and this is his cloud card that he made for a couple of years <laughs> out of a wheelchair. Lots of different projects for kids. We never thought about kids when we first started. I didn't have a kid yet. I do now. Um, but we, we thought, what if we can get, can we get artists and creative people to come out during the day and just make stuff on an island? And the kids should start to show up. And now it's an incredible event for kids. But there aren't lines between kids and adults, right? Kids and adults play together. Committed to amateurism. This is a project from an early year called Limbo Day. It's a stick and lemonade. That's the project. Go onto the stick and get some lemonade. <laughs> this is a dangerous a project that's much less dangerous than it looks from a couple of years ago. Um, uh, the human weeble wobble. It's a 1,200 pound hemisphere made of concrete with two poles coming out of it. People can hang on. <laughs> One man band from Boston. But it's, it, what this really starts to do is bring down barriers between people. People come together, they're equal, they can play together. They can play on the same project. They can paint a car together. They can hula hoop together. They can dance with, dance with a robot. <laughs> what we're about is giving permission to people to express themselves in a ways without judgment. That you can do anything here. If you can do anything, what would you do? Paint yourself red, red blue, and yellow. Give out costumes to children. Costume Cult has been giving out costumes to children at Freeman in New York for the last 10 years. Great puppet kissing booth. <laughs> this little girl I love because it's like she's totally immersed herself, right? She's wearing a costume she got from Costume Cult. She's had her face painted, and now she's engaging in this collaborative chalk, chalking project on the ground. She's like totally into it. And she's looking back and saying, Stop taking my picture, Mom. <laughs> there's no advertising, there's no sponsorship, nothing's for sale. We felt from, from really early on that that would compromise people contributing and being a part of something. 
but it's because people really embrace it. It's a tattooing product. We're tattooing figment on their bodies <laughs> one year. Lots of performance, lots of dance. It's a dance project called Splash. As I said, asking the question, if you do anything, what would you do? Make a car that looks like a bug. This is the electric bubble bus. <laughs> this was a, an arts collective called Animus. This was their first ever project. It was a tree. They made a figment and then, and then brought to Burning Man from there, actually. <laughs> Victorian tennis project. <laughs> Play tennis like a Victorian. <laughs> Stealth fighter made out of astroturf. <laughs> This is one of the biggest projects I've ever done called the Temple of Truth with 16 blackboards around a golden ratio spiral. This was hive mind, 18 foot tall, uh, welded metal structure. Face the Statue of Liberty by Zach Landsberg. This is one of the most interactive products we ever had, a TV set that would get in. People knew exactly what to do, right? There's a TV set that's empty. I'm going to go in there and take my picture. It was amazing. This, this is by an architect who makes animals out of triangles. So what impact is that? Why do we do this? Well, people really embrace it. It becomes about, about me for each of us, about your experience. This inspires joy. This makes people happy. We, we think about how to measure this, and we had a conversation in Jackson, Mississippi one time, when we first started there, about what if we asked everybody who comes to think about how old they are when they come in, and then ask them how old they feel when they leave. <laughs> this is uh, one artist blowing uh, glitter, another participant. So this really builds community. This brings people together around the event, people who make the event happen, and the artists who make the event happen, who connect at the event. There's a whole community around us. Empowers people to express themselves. This is a project called Bagel Buns. It was a parody of exercise videos. So they had this sculpture with a television set showing exercise videos and then perform uh, exercise routines and try to get people to exercise with them all weekend long. So they had a really incredible dance piece from a few years ago. Fosters collaboration between people, collaboration between group people working together, and collaboration between, in this case, these dancers and the sculpture behind them that they had no idea they were performing with and collaborating with in real time. Or this sculpture and these musicians, or this sculpture and these young musicians with their audience. This promotes optimism. It helps to see the world in a different way, to see what's possible for our cities, for our communities, for ourselves in a different way. As superhero. It enables learning. You know, this is about when you come to think and you see all the stuff that's there that you could do, you're drawn to the things you're drawn to automatically, then you want to know more about. You meet an artist like Kathy Kritzberg and you want to learn more. You start talking to her about how she did her work. And, and you learn about that. And you collaborate with her and learn new skills. It supports diversity. Everybody's welcome, everybody's invited. So we get an audience and participants in figure that looks like the city we're doing, we're doing it in March. And it builds leaders. The figure team is comprised of volunteers. We have two employees who support all the volunteers globally. So it's something like a thousand volunteers around the world. And these people are learning leadership skills. And many of them find, myself included, find that professionally that helps them. They get further in professional career through the work they do with volunteers with them. And it 
gets new ideas. These are some pictures of the pavilion project. We do a design, a pavilion, it's an architectural design competition that we've done for six or seven years now, which is really uh, inexpensive but cutting edge architecture. This is a project that's made of um, wood chips from Greenwood Cemetery stuck in landscaping wattles that have been dyed red and blue, they're mesh, piled into a mound, and then with uh, a canopy of custom-made, bespoke, inflatable pool toys. This is a project of, of milk jugs and water bottles, 50, 50, about 54,000, which is the number that New York City throws away in an hour. This was a pavilion uh, oyster pavilion that was actually taken after it was exhibited on Governor's Island and put into the harbor by the harbor school to serve as an oyster habitat. This is the organic growth pavilion that was done by an architect from Spain, Zaskun Chinchilla. So just to summarize the, the stats here, we've done 51 events, 17 cities, four countries, three continents over 10 years. And each event is a couple of days long, gets between 500 in a small event, 25,000 in New York, anywhere from 10 to say 300 arts projects, and from 20 to 200 volunteers per event, and anywhere from 10 to 500 of our artists involved, involved in each of those events. So in New York City, this is a two to three day event that happens in June either the first or second weekend in June, um, every year. Um, and there are, and it's 20 to 25,000 participants who come and, and become part of this. And there are four summer long programs we've traditionally had over the last couple of years in the island. A mini golf course, a tree house, a pavilion, and summer long sculpture. So mini golf course has been there for nine years. Tree house has been there for six years. Yeah. <laughs> pavilion has been there for six or seven years. And the interactive sculpture sculpture program has been there for uh, seven or eight years. So, what I wanted to get to was talking about challenges. Like, I mean, the obvious challenge of doing public art, doing art, is where's the money come from? Okay. So, aside from that, that's a, that's a challenge we all know about. It's common. What are the other challenges? Favorite right now is evolution faces, and as we talk about placemaking, we talk about doing public art. Like One is that we've reached the end of social media. It's just over. Facebook's an advertising platform. Nobody looks at it anymore. I mean, not nobody, but people still are addicted to it. The average American checks Facebook. The average Facebook user checks Facebook 17 times a day. But they're not going to see Figment's posts because the algorithm is going to weave them out. They're going to see their friends' posts, they're going to see ads. So Figment grew through social media. I mean, social media was starting, it took off in 2009, and I did it in 2015. So now Figment has, has got to be word of mouth, largely, and communicating with our audience through email, because social media is not helping, mm -hmm. period. I think it's still helping, you guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really, it's, it's so crippled from where it was two years ago. Well, everything I knew about Figment, I've learned about social media. Right, but it's but, but it used to be like Figment New York has whatever, 10, 20,000 likes or something, right? None of those people who like it see anything. They only see it when their friends post stuff. So you want to, the only way you can social media effectively is that if, if, if I'm doing something and you like it, you share it. That's the only way you're going to see it. Um, so 
runaway gentrification, which is something I've been thinking about the last couple of days, right? We're now at a point in New York where we've reached the perimeter. Like, this whole idea that artists are going to move further and further out and make that place cool, and then developers are going to move in and jack up the prices, and the yuppies are going to move in. Like, that's over. That's, that doesn't work anymore in New York. We've reached the end. We're now, we, we, we're, we're, we're gentrifying Bedford-Stuyvesant, we're gentrifying Crown Heights, we're gentrifying Bushwick. Like, places like Brownsville and East New York and, and the South Bronx and Staten Island are different than that. Mm -hmm. They have the more fundamental underlying issues there. So what, I, what I'm seeing is, as artists are moving into those areas is that they're getting rejected by the community. Like they're seen as the money coming in. That's how the artists are being seen, especially in the South Bronx and Brownsville. So this Soho effect, this idea like we're, we're the artists who go there first and we make it cool, like that's kind of broken now. So we need to find a new model for how we do public art and how we engage the community. Um, insurance costs. Okay, Figment's insurance bill, Figment's annual budget is a quarter of a million dollars, $250,000. We have two employees, everything else pays for costs and events and stuff. Our insurance bill this year was $32,000 for the United States, just the United States. That's like 14% of our annual budget is just so somebody can't fall on something. Right. It was 26,000 <laughs> the year before, it was 10,000 the year before that, it was 6,000 of that, 5,000 of that. So in four years, it's going up eightfold. Right? This doesn't stop. Why? Because uh, they can. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons, but it's, uh, you know, the mini golf course has 50,000 people play every summer. And they consider the risks of somebody getting hit with a club. It actually doesn't seem like that much money for the, for the number of people that you're talking about. Well, it, I mean, the question is, like, the more people we serve, the bigger that cost. Yeah, but sure. Have you still gotten hurt? Like, has it been useful? Or can you be like, hey, why are you making pay this? This has been in place for 10 years, no one's gotten hurt. We had a, we had a lawsuit, I should talk about, mm -hmm. that happened, it was an incident in 2009. It was resolved in 2014. We were sued, went to court, we were found not negligent. Did that affect it? I'm told no. Maybe. Volunteers in the competition for attention. So um, people are paying more attention to their cell phones and they're participating in public events less. This is true of sporting events, this is true across the board. Figment's had an issue with getting volunteers out to help with getting golf course over the summer. Um, the Nielsen just did a survey. Um, the average American spends 10 hours and 40 minutes a day looking at screens. 10 hours and 40 minutes a day looking at screens. Last year, one year ago, that was nine hours and 40 minutes. The amount of time I've been looking at screens is about an hour in the last year. People are shutting off, they're staying at home. Also, streaming media is, um, is much more popular and it's, uh, it's taking a lot of people's time. So it's, um, it's explained as the inferior good. So uh, streaming is an inferior good. It's the easiest thing to do to have a little fun. So we're all fighting against that. Plagiarism. Um, our pavilion this year, we went through the process, we had a jury, we picked a winner, it was made of wire hangers, and then a credible claim came up that the design was stolen. So we had to stop the project. So plagiarism is an issue. Uh, and artistic quality. Um, 
We didn't do our spoken program this year um, for a number of reasons, or some of us spoken program. The biggest issue was that we got into the jury room and we realized that we couldn't assemble with the number of submissions we got, which was like 30 submissions, we couldn't assemble the sculpture program that could cohesively hold together because the projects were either really credible, really good conceptually, or you, you knew they could get built. Right? So the artists were not good both conceptually and, and in construction. And we didn't know what to do, so we're like, I don't think we're gonna do this. How were you able to tell that like from an application? Like what if are not someone's good at construction? When you ask for detail, like how you're gonna build it, mm -hmm. I think we'll gloss over that or give you a, a sketch on that napkin and it's gonna say I'll figure it out later. Versus like a rendering or something. Versus like that. a diagram of how the framing is gonna work. That's what you build. And when you have to work outside of four months in the weather with half a million people potentially playing with it, it's gotta be built well. So is that the sculpture program, is it a four month long sculpture? Yeah, the summer long, uh, I showed the, for the four summer long programs we've had traditionally. Sculpture, mini golf, pavilion, and the treehouse. Right, but it doesn't have to come back. It can be one summer. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, we had sculpture now for seven or eight years. Summer. We didn't do it this year because of most of this issue. So we would love to turn that into a residency program or a program where we can get artists to collaborate, mm -hmm. give them some money, and, mm -hmm. and educate them. Mm -hmm. We have artists, some of which are in this room, who know how to do this, who mm -hmm. conceptually and know how to build. It's mm -hmm. a great idea. I'm looking at Rick, so who's But also Dan and Kathy. So, okay, so that lets me tee up Risa, who um, got to do this awesome project in Governor's Island with us for honor to have with Common Picnic last summer with the Figment Summer Long Sculpture Program, and who I think is really exceptional conceptually and can certainly build the hell out of stuff. <laughs> so, with that, I'll, uh, I'll hand it off to Risa. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I figured before I got into what I did for Figment, I'd just give you guys some background too. Um, so this is actually the very first large-scale outdoor installation I did. It was for Socrates Sculpture Park in 2009. It was called the Big Apple Showdown Spectacular. Um, it was part of their state fair exhibition. And um, so I built a bunch of sculptures and they were essentially the site for this uh, interactive event uh, where I hosted a bunch of contests that uh, celebrated everyday city living skills. Because um, in state fairs you have like, livestock trivia contest or hot dog eating contest, well here we go, this is the city version. And so um, there were things like uh, the Masters of Multitasking, which was an <laughs> obstacle course. And then there, uh, that's you know, like dodging umbrellas like on a rainy day on the sidewalk. And you're on, uh, you're eating a slice of pizza, you're on a cell phone with uh, my grand marshal and on speakerphone with the whole park. Uh, and she's asking you things like, okay, if you need to get to JFK on a Sunday at 8 p.m., like, what train do you take and how soon do you leave? Things like that while you're doing all these things, including squeezing through subway doors with groceries, making coffee regular, carrying martini glasses, uh, walking on the crosswalk, 
um, <laughs> balancing a square kid with martini glasses, of course, um, and uh, going over a double-sided brownstone stoop with a stroller with a cinder block in it. <laughs> and there's, mind you, you're still on the phone this whole time. Um, and so there were prizes, like uh, this woman here actually won our um, the great subway stop-off, where it's like a spelling bee, but instead of spelling words, you're naming consecutive stops off the subway. Great and it's job. like, how oh, did she win subway cards? Um, and uh, made these ribbons, like the ones you see at four shows. I grew up in Kentucky, so state fair, big thing. Uh, very familiar with those ribbons. But for me, um, oh, and this is the process of building the double-sided brownstone stoop. And that was actually really interesting because um, I asked them, I was like, is it okay? I've never made outdoors. Oh, yeah. I didn't want to interrupt, but I wondered how many people built these, um, divide, you know, all your different installations? and Or did you have fabricators? Or did you build them? Or um, I built them. Socrates is nice enough to um, hook us up with interns. That helped out, and um, yeah. Oh my God! And Max, there we go, right there. Yeah. Max helping me out, and then um, uh, brought in um, my own assistant too to help. Who? Uh, my own assistant. He, uh -huh. He's like a carpenter, so I was like, you know. Um, uh -huh. But I, uh, those are my plans. It looks just like the drawing. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is always so satisfying. But yeah, it was kind of crazy because I had never made outdoor sculpture before. I asked them, is, is that cool? You know, like, eh. and they said, absolutely, we, we give you guys um, guidance. Like, not only that, there was um, Lars Fisk, I forget what his actual title is, but he, he basically like helps all the artists, like, um, you know, give some tips about, like, okay, if you're gonna do concrete footings, they need to be four feet deep, stuff like that. So they, they help you out with um, stuff like that. and. Um, and you've got months to do it. It's just, in fact, my drawing there, you can't really tell it's splattered because when I first started doing it, it was um, snowing. <laughs> and then by the end, I think when I did sell, there was a heat wave. Uh, but yeah, so that was like full on, you're on an outdoor sculpture pad working rain or shine. Uh, Max remembers. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I think for me, in terms of, you know, site specificity, it was. I like I, I liked the idea of a city state fair, you know, and so I was thinking about that. I wanted to bring that that the rural experience to uh, and give it some city context. And it was I mean the opening was super cool. There were like like two horses and like goats and pigs, I think. And yeah, I, mean, I felt right at home. Marisa, <laughs> did the, did Socrates prompt that at all, or did you get to create the entire idea yourself? Uh, they put out a call for state fair. For state fair. Yeah, and I just submitted my idea, and I had no idea if they would be cool with it. They were <laughs> awesome. Yeah, they they gave me like a quarter of the park to like put put up all these things, and these sculptures stayed up. So I ran the event on the opening, um, but then the sculptures just stayed up for like three months, and uh, apparently a bunch of the people in the neighborhood were using it as like a dog agility course. <laughs> <laughs>
was in 2013, then they asked me about for 2014. It's called The Course of Emotions, a Mini Golf Experience, and this was commissioned by the New York City Department of Transportation uh, for their Summer Streets event, which if people aren't familiar, they shut down Park Avenue um, to cars, but you can uh, walk, bicycle, like rollerblade, skateboard, whatever, along it um, three Saturdays in August. And so, yeah, 2013, asked me back to 2014. And the Course of Emotions is a nine-hole miniature golf course playable. I love miniature golf. And um, each hole, uh, the obstacle at each hole is an emotional obstacle that you have to overcome. And so, uh, for example, we have worry, where the windmill is shaped like question marks, because when you're worried, your questions get in the way. Frustration, it literally spells frustration. It's a par 40. This is actually a really funny metric for like how well people dealt with frustration. Oh yeah. Like if there were there's some people that just like would put their heads down and be willing to like go through it. There's some people that I can't even do this, they just skip it. There's some people who would like try and hit the ball over and they had to be talked to. Take it off and put it. Oh wait, I forgot. Spy. Okay, spy. Hold on. Hold on. This is crazy. I from them because their underwriters took one look at my website and saw like my dunk tank, my trampoline, and they're like, eh. So they told me if I wanted, I could get, I forget what it's called, but the kind of insurance that like go-kart tracks get, which is uh-huh. insanely expensive. Yeah, it's really cheap. It's like, yeah, so I'm, so I'm thousands so of dollars. For liability insurance again. Um, you yeah. don't like trampolines. Don't show the trampoline. Yeah, well, it's on their website, and they're like, well, maybe if you're willing to like, sculpture, right? <laughs> Well, there's like somebody jumping on it. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but they're like, they're like, uh, if you if you write a letter promising you're not going to make anything with that anymore, and I was like, <laughs> like, psh, like what? So no, I'm still shopping um, or hoping that the writers don't my website. Um, no, uh, this is insecurity, um, where it, you're putting from a seesaw platform platform, <laughs> so you're literally insecure as your buddy. Um, jealousy, where you can see in the right-hand picture, uh, I think the grass is greener on one side, also the hole is bigger, so it's like hole is huge. Uh, yeah, um, and this is depression, because you're like uh, putting through these like beads that look like raindrops or teardrops, and uh, the hole is all the way up there, you know, like because depression's an uphill battle. Uh, and it's like, if you miss it, it just like falls right back in your feet. Um, yeah, like the, the holes, it's interesting, I think, because it was trying to think about, I mean, don't get me so I could like, talk forever about like how I really believe in mini golf as like a true artistic medium. <laughs> like not only the scale of the sculpture, it's like the ball is an avatar for the self, you know, whatever. But in terms of how I was thinking about this, I was thinking about um, how it's like some of them, we're describing the emotion uh, sort of just like from 
like looking at it, right, versus some of them were designed to make you experience certain emotions. Um, this was despair. The hole is at the top there. It's a par infinity because you're just going around and around and around. Uh, but it was interesting because people would get creative. Um, the most creative thing I would see was when people would um, share putters to get the ball all the way up. I guess you need some friends to get you out of despair. Um, boredom because it's just long and there's no bank shots. You just have to like, you know, there's no way to get hold of them. Boring. Um, anxiety, where you, um, I, I guess this was my first Plinko-ish structure, um, because the whole idea is it's about how well you can ride on edge, um, and if you fall off the edge, then the ball just like falls, and it's kind of like, uh, oh, like kind of going back and forth and back and forth, so that's anxiety. And then finish up with relief, where the hole is right next to the tee. Um, and scorecards that you will probably have that um, tell you, if you add up your score, it's like you're either like a rock, uh, on the brink or a total basket case. Um, and yeah, so these were the plans. Where this was actually a crazy, whew, this was a tough installation because it was on Park Avenue, open from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then I had to be gone, like three Saturdays in a row. And to install this whole thing, I started at like midnight each time. So midnight to 7 a.m. and then ran it and then had to deinstall and like store it and bring it back. And you know, that was just, that was, it was, I was like, after 2014, I was like, oh my god, I'm way too old for this. I can't do this anymore. My like 20 year old like assistants were like, yeah, I'm like awesome. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> but it's fine. Uh, but it was it was fun, and um, I at this point I was still doing like isometric graph paper drawings because I'm old school. Um, I like math. Um, oh, there's me exercising some math. Uh, this is making frustration. But I think up until this point, um, you know, I've, I've always been in, like, made interactive art, but it's, um, it was, people are like, oh, you should do public artwork, like, that'd be really great. But I'm like, oh, these things have, like, balls and putters and clubs. Like, I can't just leave it in the middle of nowhere, you know? How do I do that? So I started thinking about how I could how I could adapt what I like to do, incorporating that sense of play and interaction in something that I could just like leave and let be a static sculpture. So, um, enter Infinite Play. And actually this came because I was reading this book called Finite and Infinite Games, I think by James Karst. And uh, he was talking about how there's finite games, like ones with rules and an object, and there's like winners and losers. And then he was talking about infinite games, ones like, for example, uh, hitting a beach ball, right, where the only object of the, day, the game is to continue play. And so I started thinking about that. I was like, oh, that's that's how I can do what I do with public art. So I um, I started making some infinite games. So first up, infinite play. It's a playground climber um, that is in the shape of a Mobius strip. So it's a one sided geometric surface, um, and it also makes an infinity symbol. Um, this was actually my first time working in steel, like for real, other than like welding like small things. Uh, so that was fun. This was um, at uh, Franconia Sculpture Park in 2014. I was doing an open studio fellowship there. This was also my first fellowship um, like away from home. Uh, so that was uh, Sarah. Sarah was an intern there when I was, um, when, uh, when I 
was on the fellowship and uh it's interesting hearing you describe it as something like that you can continually if infinitely do because like it's so hard to get around it <laughs> but like it puts you upside down so like continually do it would be like really really difficult yeah, yeah. i don't know if i ever made it all fully around i did i made myself do it um, uh, it is about an hour, out, an hour, right? Outside of Minneapolis, in Minnesota. Yeah, it's in a sculpture park, and that's the thing. It was like, this, this sculpture park is open 365 days a year, and um, it was going to be up for a year at least, but it's still there. So, I, you know, basically, probably, until they need that spot for someone else, or until it rusts out, like, it's, it's there. So this was definitely, because everything else had been temporary, the longest had been three months. And so I was trying to figure out how to how to make something that would withstand that. I mean, I had heard about this fellowship before, but I didn't have any ideas that I was proud enough to apply with. Um, but after reading that book, I had one. I had one. Um, so um, this was also an interesting challenge for me math-wise because everything I made up until this point was like very angular, um, very easy to measure, uh, whereas this one, it was very curvy. And I brought every measuring tool I could think with the curves, and I did a lot of math for it. Um, and I'll, I'll show you a video. Um, um, I think I love the sound line. It's a, um, it's a, because you know, she was a welder. Yeah. And like, when I like, to like pull myself up, like, you know, because like, when you like hit that, like, I don't know, like three o'clock, and you're like, oh God, I said, just keep going, just keep going. So I'd be there in my like welding helmet, like singing this to myself. It's not a lot of time by myself. Um, when Risa was doing her math, like, you didn't want to talk to her, you didn't want to talk to her, like, Risa doing her math. Like, roll your way. Yeah. Oh, that was fun, figuring out how to cope with the, um, the pipes so that they would sit, like, on the other pipes. That was another machine I got to use. I was practicing welding, because uh, it had been a while. That was my prototype. I just wanted to make sure that, like, the distance there, and also the distance between them, I wanted it so that it was adult-sized, but not so big that it couldn't do it. Um, so this was, like, my system for marking it. I marked it them on the quarters, so then when I used this pipe bender to bend it, um, I would know, like, if I want, like, a so many degree curve, I would move it down six inches, like, six pumps, like, go, like, turn it either 45 degrees away, 45 degrees toward me, three pumps that time to get the curve I wanted. I mean, I was scared. I actually had, I had a couple backup plans in case I couldn't bend it the way I needed to bend it. Um, like, I planned to possibly make it angular, like, faceted, um, but it, it seemed to work out. Like, I went pretty low tech with it. Um, you know, even just thinking about like, do I want, do I want to do it where the rungs stay parallel to each other, or where they stay perpendicular to the outside railing? I went with a ladder. Um, yeah, so that's figuring out. Oh, the nice thing is that Franconia had those big gantries with like these like hoists where you, I could lift like a couple hundred pounds by myself. That was like, that was awesome. Oh, and I figured out a jig system so that I could get so I could squeeze them together. There's a lot of like wrestling. Metal on that. Oh, not to mention. I'll tell you a story about what they nicknamed it frequently as nasty shower. It's like so um, But yeah, this is, you're out in the park, um, like at least at uh, Starfish Sculpture Park, there's like a covered area. This is like open, open. So part of the task was to figure out, like people are like bothering you all the time, like you're like there about it, and they stand behind you, like, Walking to the park, or like, they're like, ooh, like, look at that. To their kid, look at that. That's all they're 
outside of New York City and and give it a New York City twist, which is why they're all stuck together. Because in New York City, we like live on top of one another, all squished together on the subway. You know, we're forced to share stuff. But it was also because um, Figment in general. I mean, David gave you the like the the quick intro, but it's it's an amazing organization where people really do come together. People are generous. They. Um, it's people are like everybody's in the program. They're like interested in each other and, and very supportive. And I think um, creating a site for people to gather seemed really fitting with Figment's mission. And so that's kind of where this came from. Um, and oh, so more math. Um, so Governor's Island, while it is an amazing magical place, it also pro it, it has some logistical challenges because um, it's car free. So like Figment has to get you like a special permit, and you know you they can't have very many, right? Because otherwise it wouldn't feel car free anymore. And so you you have to you can't spend like two months, three months, 
installing. You have to like go and install in like a, like a week. And so to make something this size, I, I had to think of something that was modular, right? And then also just because it, it wouldn't fit in my studio, I had to think about like transportation and storage and stuff like that. Um, I didn't get to see it put together until I got got to Governor's Island. Um, I basically made my own version of like Ikea Lego thing, where there were these modular pieces, like, and figured out how many of these I needed. I set up jigs, and me and I think four assistants like banged out like like factory style. Like, uh, you know, there was like uh, I think I was the one doing the the marking just so that everything was right where it was. I'd hand it off to somebody else, they'd cut it. I'd hand it off to somebody else, they'd drill it. I'd hand it off to somebody else who sanded it and then paint it. You know, and there was this weird little picnic table factor, team picnic. Um, but I was very excited when I got to Governor's Island um, uh, and it all worked out. This is uh, part of what I submitted for my proposal. Part of, I guess, how they know if you know how to build stuff. Um, yeah, she, see, she can build stuff. <laughs> <laughs> at least at the very least, it's like I had thought about the structure. I, I also, um, I this year I I got asked to join the Department of Transportation's Art Advisory Panel, and so we look at proposals for the public art, and you can kind of tell if somebody's, especially because it's one thing if it'll stand in a gallery, but it's quite another if people are, it, it can hold weight. That's always a thing. Can it hold weight? Will it tip over? Is it weatherproof? Have they thought about drainage? Like stuff like that. Um, and so, um, ooh, and I learned SketchUp for this one. This was very exciting. <laughs> I learned SketchUp, um, which helped out making a fun rendering, which I used in my Kickstarter thing, which I honestly think without that, I don't know if I would have met my goal. Um, yeah, uh, it was funny to find all those people in their like 3D warehouse. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but it was exciting because it turned out just like my SketchUp, which once again, that is my favorite moment. Also, the moment of like, oh my god, thank god, like all the holes were in the right place, this all went together. Insulation was actually a breeze. Um, and uh, but yeah, uh, so not only was it a sculpture, I, was, I hosted, I think three or four um, community picnics, like it was, there were potluck picnics where everybody, you know, came and brought their stuff, met friends, um, and um, outside of just during, you know, people would come out and lunch there, just regulars open whenever Governor's Island was open. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. So that kind of launches us into, it prompted a lot of questions for me. I don't know if you have some questions, but I wanted to start, Risa, you talked a lot about, um, just talked through a lot of the challenges. And, I'm, and for both of you, and I'm also gonna kind of, this is like a round table panel, so it's one of these questions, if you have an answer for it, we want to hear from you. Um, and I'm looking at Perrin and Shona, who's from, Shona is our contact at Q, she's been wonderful. So, uh, you know, it's a panel, but it's, it's all of us. So my first question is, we could start off here, would be, what's the biggest challenge you consistently face when creating outdoor public, outdoor public art? Outside of budget. Outside of budget. Outside yeah, that's a given. And we're going to talk about budget in the fourth workshop, so I hope you'll come back for that one. Um, so outside of budget, what's what's the challenge that you consistently face? I guess as an artist, it is finding that sweet spot between something that is feasible with whatever logistical parameters happen to be um, with that site, and then also something that that. 
I think makes sense conceptually without any explanation because that's the thing you don't have like a docent to talk to you don't oftentimes you don't even have an object label you know like some like there's there's no wall text to, to help give context or no like museum pamphlets it's just somebody has to like get it or not get it when they see it and so um, I think that's the hardest part is is the before you're actually even building anything before you're, it's it's the ideating so that's a thing right yeah I think that's the hardest part for me at least yeah great David you've created outdoor art some yeah what, what, what do you find to be a, a challenge uh, and you've done it for 10 years at least uh, there's so many I, I mentioned six of them I know um, what I, which, which is the biggest challenge to outdoor? I mean, I mean the obvious one is durability, right? Is just making sure. There was an artist who created a, a summer-long project for Figment, a sculpture project in 2012, who um, had a lot of trouble keeping his project going. He kept going to the to fix it. And what he said to me, I said, how's it going? He's like, and he said to me, I knew that the public would play with my piece. I didn't realize they would actively try to destroy it. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. When I did Socrates Sculpture Park, I was there with, um, I was giving a tour with a high school uh, group, and I watched some kid rip the like subway globe off of it and start using it as a ball. Like, like yes, they, yeah, that was a big surprise to me. I'll never forget that shot. <laughs> and, and Governor's Island is interesting because it's changed in that regard. Like, when we started Figment in 2007, like that entire summer, there were like less than 50,000 people who went all summer, and now it's 10 times that. And so the island has sort of subtly moved closer and closer to Manhattan. So the rules that people behave, the way people behave here in the city, and in Manhattan and Brooklyn and everywhere else, has sort of transferred the governor's island more and more. Where in the early days it was like, you knew you were going to a really special place. People treated it that way. And not everybody, I mean, people sneaking into buildings and stuff. But it wasn't like you come back and go, oh my god, they just completely uprooted and destroyed this thing. It's gotten more like you would see in any park here. Mm. Has anybody yet in the back? Do you think that has any correlation with the screen time thing that you mentioned? Maybe not. Is that for Maybe. I hadn't thought about it. With people destroying things? <laughs> well, people, as people get more alienated from one another, right. they have lots of a sense of being a member of the community right. and seeing themselves as sharing anything with the person who's created it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's possible, I haven't thought about it. Yeah. I, yeah. I kind of wonder if people are so used to everything around them being engineered and designed for that purpose, so they think everything around them, even the artwork that's out maybe on Governor's Island, is also in this with the same idea of you know, and it's like there was an engineer who was obviously you know involved in a whole team of people, you know. <laughs> but right. I think people might have that idea because they're so used to everything else being engineered so carefully. It's like the assumption of climbability. Exactly. Like everything must be climbable. Because why else would it be here if it weren't engineered for me to be an idiot on top? Like it's like, because the, those rules don't have to apply. It's arbitrary. I think the simple way to say what she said was that people don't make things. And so if you don't make something, you don't respect that someone made something. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can only speak in the context of kids in the sense of what we built, particularly the, the piece in the schoolyard. 
So kids ran up, and because it's a kid of part that you assemble, like Lego, decided to take all the sticks and use them as Star Wars batons <laughs> and destroy them like that. But I think for them, that I, I want to think that it's more about the fact that there's such limited time to get outside and to actually engage in any kind of like unstructured playtime. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of like, let me go outside. Yeah, I'm going to get all this energy out of me anyway with Poshmall. So I'm going to grab your ball. <laughs> I'm going to take it off her piece and play with it because that's, I need to kind of like channel my energy in that way. Yeah, Kids are a force of nature, and um, unless they're brought in by parents, they will destroy everything. And I've literally watched parents watch kids destroy art uh, on Governor's Island. Um, and I'm always wondering, like, you know, I don't, I don't, don't care. I'm a kid's kid, right? Kids do what they do, but parents don't take their kids anymore, and they just let them do whatever they want, as opposed to like actually going, like, no, this, someone made this. Is that lack of education? I I, I find even over the last I mean like just watching over the last ten years um, that like parents just they're like okay you know and uh, I do the treehouse Doug does the treehouse treatment and we have lots of small sculptures inside I've had entire sculptures just disappear. Oh. Mm. I would just uh, speak to that. Um, in the fact that I think that that dynamic completely changes when kids are part of the process. Mm -hmm. In terms of designing right. and building, I think that there's, like you said, when you're part of that making process, building it, there's a completely new fact respect because you have been part of making something that's awesome and great. And there's that respect completely comes there once you have that. And just to bounce off that for a second, yeah. I didn't say before that I thought I'd say about Figment. Sometimes is that with Figment, when we started Figment, what we wanted to do was to, to, to make public art truly public. Mm -hmm. And to not make, make public art not just here's the work from the genius artist that the public can enjoy, but we're actually inviting the public to make art. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the work that needs to be done in all of this, this whole placemaking realm is to engage the entire public right. so they understand it. And entire is a big number, but, right. but your point is. Well, I think that is the challenge because it's carving out a new way of experiencing stuff. Because if you think about what what has been out there outside in the public for people, if it is art, you're it's like you know on like this like plinth and it's like up there and you don't touch it, right? The things that you can touch are usually like benches, playgrounds, things like that, and so. Why wouldn't you get on top of it and climb it or whatever, you know, because that's what you do with everything else in the public you can touch. So I think it's like part of that is like educating, like learning this new behavior. And I also think, yeah, absolutely being invested in that process for sure. I think that also as we get having more like interactive art and like have the opportunity to interact more, like we come like then that also like somewhat becomes high. Like I know after I spent four years, four months at Franconia, and then like I went through rounds of sculpture. Like it was, it, like it was so made me so angry that like I couldn't touch things and I couldn't climb things. And after having all those experiences, like that's what I wanted to do. So I feel like it's partially art doing by making that this like this type of art, where inviting people to then also maybe have the urge to touch things that we then don't. You know what I mean? We're kind of like. Trying to have our cake and eat it too, in a way. 
Or even just showing like people that there are other ways to interact with things, like with public objects that doesn't involve punch. Like where you can draw on it with chalk. Or, you know, like there are other ways. I mean don't get me wrong. You know, I love a climber, but there are other ways. Was there a question back here? I yeah. did sort of have answered by your um, response about um, community being involved in the process. And so I think of like a parking lot as a very different site than so Socrates Sculpture Park and the kinds of audiences that naturally gravitate to these places. I feel like a family has a sense, a little bit of cultural capital, and has certain values that you know I'm going to spend you know my afternoon in Socrates Sculpture Park, and I heard about the specific cultural event, right? Different than you know finding finding a vacant lot and transforming it and going through this like community process. So how do like maybe you or others respond to the kinds of audiences and the sort of expectations and social constructs that already pre-exist in these certain locations? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not an artist. I design parks in the city. And uh, I'm, I came about placemaking through landscape architecture. And to me, it's like parking day and um, taking over interesting areas of the city. So, uh, and I, I want to talk a lot about like the way you guys engage with the parks and, and the spaces you already are in. But um, if you have any experiences in more I don't know, more mundane places, I'd like to, I'd really like to hear about that. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example of what you think uh, as a mundane place? Well, like you were talking about empty lots. Oh, yeah. Or like, you know, the DOT Plaza program. Yeah. The Department of Transportation runs a plaza program. Um, they also do a summer streets program. So DOT in the last few years has really, I would say, added a lot to their roster in terms of creative placemaking activities. So the summer streets that you see where they close down Park Avenue, that's under the creative placemaking kind of thinking. Um, taking streets back, turning them back to pedestrians, making it bike-friendly, user-walking-friendly. Um, and I think almost each borough probably has those now. Um, do you want to talk about the plaza? The, the plaza yeah. project? Well, you know, sometimes they're just like cleaning the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. They're not really totally engaging, but um, I saw something that, that was supposed to be under the BQE, and there's, uh, there's like the Design Trust for Public Space, mm -hmm. and they do a little bit more interactive stuff. I think they did. Some kind of music thing in the Bronx. I forget what that project was. Boogie Down Bronx? Yeah. Yeah, that's like the Bronx version of Summer Street. Yeah, so that's, that's, and then the, so that's the Summer Street program. Plaza, so like if you go over to Penn Station, they've taken 33rd Street and added a bunch of picnic tables and painted the street. It's what Times Square did a few years ago when they closed down Broadway. So that's more of what you're referencing, right? Yeah, yeah. So when they closed down what were previously open to cars, um, they've taken them and turned them back to pedestrian plazas. So places that people can just congregate. Um, and you're seeing, I would say, a lot more of that in New York. I don't have those kind of stats, like how much that's grown, but that's also trickling out into other cities where, um, you know, just little side strips or random pieces of road work, or ro of road are being given back to, I would say, just walkers. Um, and I think it has, you know, th there's certainly pros and cons to everything, but you're seeing a lot more of that. And especially in Midtown, I've noticed in the last couple of years, there have been a lot more of the, the plazas that have formed. Um, and so you usually get like the plaza, some sitting area, and then like seasonal food options. So they'll set up like food trucks, so they'll set up tents where they're selling food. And it's really just to activate, like 33rd Street, right by Penn, 
usually it's just full of semis. So they clear those out and make it a little bit more user-friendly. And so you're seeing that throughout the city. Can I just jump in? Because yeah. I think we actually talked about this a little bit. I'm going to pull it together. Um, let's take, for example, Flushing Avenue, right? Right by the Navy Yard. And if we were to consider our creative placemaking project, so to speak, um, it's an industrial road predominantly, but for for all intents and purposes, as a pedestrian, it can seem kind of desolate and empty. But so I, I try to think about like, if you're activating the space, if you're cutting off the street, what are the like the logistical things you have to go through? And you could speak to that when I mean like, in order to do something like that, if we wanted to one day say, okay, let's just close off that street from like flushing all the way down to where the BQE intersects it over here, all the way to where the um, pound was or whatever, like, and do that for one day, what would happen? What would happen to the Navy Yard? What would have, like, we want to bring community out, like, what would you have to do? One, we'd have to get permits from the DOT. Two, you'd have to get insurance, depending on what it is you do. And you can't call it certain things because then your insurance increases. You can't have trampolines because people are going to just die. So, I mean, do you want to? That's all. I mean, Perhaps an interesting point for you in that question though is, is to what extent would a project like that be benefiting a community and or and or putting a negative impact on a community and then who do you decide is the community in place there? And that's right. kind of a big I don't want to deviate from your question or proposal, but I think that's a, that's always of interest to me when every all of you, everyone talks about the community is being is involved in it. So Oh, what at the, at the Navy Yard is one of our biggest. We are at Green Eagle Park. That is, we are right next to Dumbo, Fort Greene, uh, Williamsburg. We we are have a food desert of NYCHA housing right next to us, right next to some of the most you know up and coming. You know, yeah, I hate the word identified personally, but like there's it's such a great. So who's who's the community I'm serving? Right. Uh, if I'm going to do a public art project like that, hmm. which there are many considerations of, and I actually did a. Um, a, a mural things around like who are you serving? Who are you reflecting? Who are you those are the I think the theoretical challenges you know, that we, we think about I think and also this is really specific for us but we service a community within the yard and a community was outside the yard, you know, as business owners and residents. Well, I think one thing that placemaking can always do is make areas safer because they'll they'll bring more activation to the place and um, you know, there's beautification with, with murals and stuff like that, but if you change a use of a place from, you know, like under the elevated, um, you know, under the BQE, and it's dark, and if you if you put a use there, um, you know, through these these games that um, some of the artists have done, um, you know, and they're permanent, you know, they, they, they keep people there longer, which makes them safer, you know? Question? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things um, I'm always interested in when I, if I make a piece of sculpture is what is the audience going to do with the sculpture? And I'm really always amazed at some of the creative, you know, um, responses that they might have, you know, kinesthetic responses, I mean, when we're talking about, you know, how art can sometimes invite, you know, destructive behavior, but sometimes, like I think I try to think about like how is my design going to affect the behavior of somebody else? Like what is it going to do and how many different ways could that audience respond to the artwork? Um, 
kinesthetically a lot of times, but also, you know, not just kinesthetically, but visually too. Can I ask you a question right back at you? Have you ever done a piece where people were actually involved in the whole ideation portion of it yeah. versus just? Yeah, a lot of times. Well, almost all, almost always it happens like that. They don't like. It, it, it almost, I mean, it, it, you almost can't do it without people. You know, when you're doing a piece that's in the public, like, you know, in, with, within the public uh, realm, you almost have to have other people involved either conceptually or somehow, you know, or even just ma as makers and collaborators. Uh, all so many different roles that the audience can have in with um, interacting with any kind of public art project, I think. Storytelling happens a lot, I find. That's an interesting one, at least from, um, I, I, I feel like I have a new perspective on a lot of things on the art advisory panel for the DOT because you get you get projects that are more sort of like um, some that are already made sculptures that sort of get like plopped somewhere, right? You get some that are um, new ideas that would be commissioned just for that thing. And then you also have the ones that are more like where it involves community outreach or community involvement in the crafting of it. And it's it's a really interesting thing to see the panel because every time we get the community, like where the, where it's like people are going to be making it, right? It's always a struggle between like because we automatically gravitate toward those projects. Like we want that. That seems like a great thing, but that all it always makes for logistical things. Like wondering if like what the quality is going to be like in terms of like aesthetically, but also durability wise, you know. And it's how to how to make sure that it like how to create the framework so that people can get involved, but where it's not gonna like fall apart, or it's not gonna, you know, like curse words all over it, or, you know, it's 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 an interesting thing. I feel like that's something, because I feel like um, bigger and bigger organizations are really interested in bringing in all different, whatever the community is, you know, because that's the other thing, is, is who you're serving. But, and, but bigger organizations are also scared of, of public art. You made a point about the thing about the well, what if what if the proposal deviates from what if it, in actuality act we actually have these big we have curse words we have found that it reflects poorly on us like there's a, such a fine line I think from from when you're looking at proposals and which of of granting the the ability for an artist to be vague and conceptual to some extent and then but then also. On the on the this end, like not like not putting constraints on, but having the faith in that artist that they'll you know, meet in the middle in this respectful way. I think that's a big challenge that maybe people who are just on the art side really don't understand from the institutional side that's that's going on behind the scenes. That's a facilitation issue. I mean, uh, you know, it depends on on the ability of the artist to facilitate that. And that can, doesn't always show up in the proposals as, you know, like you can't always, because that's like personal interaction, and so 
you can't always project that, you know, in a proposal easily because it's very creative in the moment. I want to come over here if there's a comment. I want to ask another question that kind of prompts off of this, and then I'm going to have to wrap up because I want to be respectful of your time. But um, this is a really good conversation, and I hope we can continue, and I hope you'll come back for more workshops. But was there a question over or a, que- or a comment? Oh, I was just going to say that I felt like I experienced like organizations being nervous or about like creative placemaking projects or just that they I've recently you know I've been was doing something and I felt like the organization was kind of hesitant because like most artists why didn't they put their pieces up and then they were there to be shown there wasn't anything like else that the organization had to do where I felt like they were hesitant to let me do the entire activity that I wanted to because it like was more work you know and so I just So that, again, it's a good jump off from my my question, and this is a whole topic too, but I'm hoping we can have a few uh, responses and give us something to think about. How do you balance, and and I'm looking at David and Risa first, but to all of our artists here, how do you balance the desire to create your own work versus commissioning pieces? I know. I know. I mean, for me, it's just tough because since I make interactive work and since most of it is large scale, like pretty much most of what I do is commission stuff. Like I don't, like I didn't make that just because I like felt like like that was that was I got asked back for summer streets and I had a booth and I was like, okay, what can I do in a ten by ten space? So I feel like part of it I actually get fueled by. Like whatever parameters are set, you know, um, I think that's actually why I ended up doing installation art because the idea of just being able to like make anything and put it in the middle there, like I liked the challenge. I liked to build myself rooms like that had windows and doors that I had sort of solved and stuff like that. And so I mean, I feel like so for me, I think that's that's part of it for me. Um, and I guess that's the other thing about making interactive work because it never really feels like it's just for you. You know, it's it's it, it, I always have to like even if it's something that I design ahead of time, I still have to like focus group it with people. I'm like, so if I do this, what would you think it's supposed to, like? How would you use this? Like I, I'm like, oh, it's like when I'm making like a handle for a vending machine, I'm like, would you pull it? Would you turn it? Like, what do you think? Like, how does this taste? Like, you know, whatever, whatever it is I'm making at the time. So I feel like. But I like that, you know? I like that it's that it always involves other people. You also have those really good core things that you measure projects by, like if you should do things or not. Oh, that yeah. really helpful when you told me, so I just think it would just be a good answer to this question. Uh, well, that's, the question there is, well, because I was going to say, like, also the benefit of commissioned work is it's funded. Mm-hmm. Excellent, right? Great. Uh, yeah, because if, if something will not, if, the question, the four things are if I'm willing to put in my own earned money, right, for it. It's like, uh, it's like, uh, am I going to get to make something that I've been wanting to make that I wouldn't have the chance to otherwise? Uh, is it, um, is it an organization that I've wanted to work with? Um, do I think that I'm going to get exposure? Um, and, uh, and if it's funded or not. Oh, well, yeah, and if it's funded. <laughs> Yeah. I have sort of a different perspective on this because I, I sort of realized really recently, like the last 
two or three years that what I was doing was an arts practice. Like, you know, I studied I studied playwriting in college, and I, I wrote I'm a writer and and created Figment and other projects as art. You know, Figment is an art project for me that I created to involve many thousands of other people in it. And so, uh, but I've always had a job. Like I've never. So, so I've wanted to do Figment as an arts project. And other, other similar things that I've done as arts projects is the right thing to do because I love it. And at the same time, I have never tried to build an artist's portfolio, an artist's resume. So it's like, no, I just work. I do, I, I do this for money and I do this for fun. And I have two jobs, one I get paid for and one I don't. And that's actually fine. That actually is fine. I don't watch a lot of streaming media. I probably am under the 10, 10 hours and 40 minutes a day. I'm probably, I'll keep that in actually, I'm probably not. I'm probably right at that 10 hours and 40 minutes a day, but I'm also doing work and creating while I'm doing it. What do you do for your day job? Does it have anything to do with the arts? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> um, the, well, I got a new job. I'm, I'm running a startup. I got hired to run a startup, so I'm going to be paid to run a startup that is creating a new concept for community-based residential housing in East Williamsburg and hopefully to spread to the locations. So working with a real estate developer to create a new model for how people live in cities. So pretty interesting stuff, but early, really early. Okay. Questions? No? Um, other thoughts or are there practicing artists out there who have you balance commissions versus what you want to do? <laughs> yeah, I don't find that unless, unless I have a commission, I don't get to do it. Like, unless I have a deadline, you know, it's very rare to ever like get into my shop and go, okay, I'm going to make this thing that I've been yeah. working for a while. I've had an idea for a series of pieces that I keep going, I'm going to get into my shop and do that. And, you know, but there's, you know, call for art and for that, you know, doing, you know proposal and get it. Like, okay, yeah, give me a deadline. You know, it's hard, it's hard to just do work, you know, especially when. You know, I, I'm a builder professionally, so I build professionally, and then I, the last thing I do want to do is get into my shop label. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think also making like interactive work, it's like if I'm going to make something, it's going to like sit in my studio, nobody's going to touch it. Right. Like, so sad. It like doesn't get finished till like it's out there and people are using it. Right. You know, that's showtime. Live. Yeah, exactly. So for me, at least, but I totally that's a cool way to think about. It, I think. I don't know. I like the the different ways thinking about like that um that the thing you volunteer for is the art um yeah i think, I think there's a second level or a second layer to commission work too because i think there's always a, a thought process of do i believe in this project do i believe in the mission of it right so like you're not necessarily taking commission work that you fundamentally are opposed to or that isn't something that is meaningful or personal to you right and assuming and I think you're, you're kind of even doing that in selecting a commission work, whether you take it or not, yeah. as an artist. Yeah, for sure. Yes. I'm kind of curious if you have any examples of failures in that um, kind of reconciliation. <laughs> if there was like, a project you were very excited about, but then realized that like, your community didn't have a need for that project or didn't want it the way you wanted it. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, it's like when I get 
asked, um, what is your, like if you could give like, like people just starting out in art, like if you could give them any one piece of advice, what would it be? And my advice is always get used to rejection. Like, because that's just you, yeah. Like I, I feel like I've got, I've got a binder of proposals that like, you know, that didn't pan out. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot. And then there's also failures on the other end in terms of, like, um, yeah, like, like, uh, like in terms of how hard people are going to use something. For example, you know, realizing that you've given them a lot of torque, <laughs> like literal torque, to just to shear the heads off screws. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the the stuff, yeah, there's there's definite times where you think that like. You're like, wait, why don't you want this? This would be perfect for your organization and your site. Wait, really? But, oh, okay. I can't even think of one failure story to tell you. <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you're sort of, if you're not failing, you're kind of not trying hard enough. Yeah. You know, in some way. So, um, uh, one thing that Figma doesn't even talk about is there's a camp out we do every April called Alpha. It's been four years old. It's an artist retreat. So it's people working on projects. Nobody's required to bring a project, which can be simple in a workshop or something. But it's all about failure. It's just art. It's you know 100, 120 artists coming together to show stuff and. The artists who get the most out of it bring like five things and are just working the whole time, showing things, and getting people who really want to participate to engage. And the stuff that and the stuff fails spectacularly. I mean, it's just like, wow, that really failed, and that's awesome, and it's a place for that. But in the in out there in in the wild, I mean, there have been fig, whole figment events that have been like didn't quite. I mean, it's always something. It always kind of has some value. But it, it doesn't meet the expectations of people doing it locally, um, where the community is not supportive one reason or another, where one part of the community doesn't support it, you know, it, uh, and, and sculpture projects that have failed. Yeah. In Philadelphia, there used to be an abandoned park that was turned into like a sculpture garden and a garden. It's called Little Berlin Fairgrounds. Um, and it was like a really cool place. It kind of reminded me of that picture of the garden you showed on the thing. Um, I know it was abandoned, whoever owned the space wasn't doing anything with it. They're like, sure, like make it into so the change that they reinstalled all these sculptures, and then a few years later the guy decided he was gonna sell it. So the whole thing just went from being this nice community thing that had just been built to kind of failing because somebody decided they wanted to make more money off the area instead. So I don't know, that's another kind of failure in like I guess creative place making example. There are so many ways to fail. Question about question of failures: um, whether those failures affect your process, whether like your starting point is different um, after failure, because it seems to me it's very it's a very different project to say like I want to make a piece of art um, and to sort of brainstorm what it is that you want versus like here's an area and there's a need, like, you want to make this area safer, and how can I make an art piece that will fill that need? <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to think of, then the community garden, for example, that, that, that sculpture, because we had to call it a sculpture, because we called it a play piece, that our insurance was out the window, and we couldn't, we couldn't build it, so they were like very mindful of all of the sculpture. So going from there, 
I had a vision of like, oh, I want this to be this wonderful piece that people gathered around, used forever, like, till the end of time, four or five months later, and just kind of sits there. And so you think that that's kind of like, that's a failure in my vision of like, our vision of like, we want people to like, become, we want it to activate the space in some way. And it's only as good as the people who use it. Um, go ahead. But part of what you're talking about is expectations, too, yeah. is your own expectations for how others will respond to your work. Mm -hmm. Right? So um, I mean, you always hope that it's going to be a certain thing. But if you're placing your own, if your criteria for success is how they receive it, you're setting yourself up for disappointment, potentially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like when we were going, when Figment was going, starting, starting in Australia, um, the producer I was working with on that, the, the woman who lived in Toronto, um, Australia, she sort of said she knew she could do Figment. She was ready when she realized that if just she and her friend showed up to play, that was enough. Like it didn't have to be 10,000 people. And ultimately it was, you know, a thousand people or a couple thousand people, it was awesome. But she kind of got to a point where she could give up her own expectation mm -hmm. and that that gave her strength to keep going. So it's about also the internal language you're having around what your expectation is and where your satisfaction is going to come from and where the validation is going to come from. I mean, by all accounts, like you think of the Highline as like this huge, massive success in terms of like placemaking or whatever, but if your benchmark is that you didn't want to push people out of that neighborhood as a result of mm -hmm. bringing all these new developers in, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. So yeah, if you were trying to make it a <laughs> global tourist destination, that's featured on Rock Order and like all these other TV shows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Done. And I do, and I think part of it is like, yeah, how how you frame it, right? Like, because like with Socrates Sculpture Park, like I actually set out to do eight different contests, and I ended up with four. But the funny thing is, yeah, like right, I have to say, I actually, like, no joke, actually see that as a, like as a success because I was happy with what I chose to edit. Like, there had been other projects where it turned out, and I was like, why did I spend so much time on this and blah right. blah. Whereas, like that one, I it felt like I chose okay, even though I failed at at my original goal. So I mean, I feel like there's things like that. I mean, you know, then there are other times where, like I said, if you're sharing off screws in an opening, you're walking around with like like a impact driver hidden in your skirt so that you could like like screw the thing back together, like yeah. And then you change the placement of the handles next time. Like fine. You know, things like that. But I mean from a big picture perspective, I feel like it would just be so disheartening if there weren't a way to learn from it, if if, if you couldn't frame it as as something positive. Mm -hmm. I think I have, I have a note for it uh, from the perspective of an artist. Uh, I've had two instances where I was afraid of failure slash I possibly could call it a failure. Um, and what I've learned from it was we're, as it was mentioned, we're um, competing with so much other like electronics and attention to whatever, like anything other that is so instant and um, you know, grabbing attention of everybody. And so I had to do my homework and really think about it and ex expect the least out of the people to participate. Like, I was, I was uh, considering uh, inviting people to do a recording 
But if people, if you want people to do a recording, you have to make it as simple as possible. Like not, like not push a button. Like they just come to a cube and like close the door and it starts recording. Like you have to expect them to do, you know, make it really, really easy. Or like, you know, nowadays even taking a picture of yourself, like it's, you know, taking a video is one step forward. It's too much. Like people won't do it. Or taking a recording, sending it to somebody. No, nobody's gonna do it because things are instant nowadays. So like that's my thing was do my homework and like do this, like make it super super simple in order for people to really want it to participate. And then second thing was. Um, uh, I had an organization and I was really feeding it and reminding me of the of, of the community garden where like when I was involved in it I had people around and I you know everybody was really excited to like participate and to chip in. And then when I left it, um, because I was the motor, because I was the engine, I was powering through and I was like driving everybody and like making everybody excited and that left it left it like kind of like stayed there and you know so i think taking an ownership is what made you know let, letting the people and like engaging the people to take an ownership in it and slowly kind of like having them to like be the motor a little bit and, and like taking the ownership is really uh, i think crucial when you're preparing to leave the, the set to somebody else <laughs> Um, okay, I have just set up an interactive sculpture which involves people taking one step forward in order to activate it. And I don't know if it's going to work. Hmm. <laughs> Try the friends. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know if the people who come to... Will interact in the way you want them to. If people will... Act, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, friends will, but... Right. Oh my god, that is always that thing. That makes like a whole I did this piece for, um, it was called Please Enable Cookies, right? Bless you. Yeah, Please Enable Cookies. And so the idea is I, I had a booth of cookies. And um, you couldn't buy them. The only way to get them um, was to trade personal identifying information for it, just like on a website, special <laughs> cookies. And so I was sitting there, and I wasn't sure if anybody. I baked 700 cookies, and I like wasn't sure. Like you know, there was ones with the Facebook logo, logo the Instagram logo, the whatever. And there was this sheet with like a terms of service and six point five with it on the back. And I was collecting like people's email addresses, the last four of their social security, mother's maiden name, their fingerprints, like a photo of their face. And it was like they could choose what to give. I didn't. I was like, I don't know if anybody's gonna do it. I don't know if any. The moral of the story is people will do anything for a cookie, like anything. <laughs> Anything, especially a cookie that looks like the old Instagram logo, like when, you know, when it was like really cute. Sorry, hater. Um, but yeah, it's like uh, people would would give me a full sheet of information, like full, including yeah, everything, and just to get that thing. But but before you do it, you never know. Right, right. And this is not to get a cookie, but it's to get a fortune. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But I think people are inherently curious. I mean, I have the same exact I'm sure I did an interactive project at Governance Island Art Fair this year, and I was terrified. And I, I didn't have enough materials the first day I brought out. So I think people are just inherently curious to like see what's going on if something's happening. You know, if that makes you feel any better. 
We'll see. Come on Saturday. Other, yeah. <laughs> and come back in a week because yeah. we want to hear how yeah, it goes. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, it, it's um, at BWAC Artist Gallery, the Brooklyn Waterfront Artist College. Oh, excellent. Other Saturday, Saturday, one to six. Awesome. One to six, Saturday. Other closing thoughts before I wrap this up? I was going to say, that probably speaks to what um, you're experiencing with bringing the community into, uh, um, like, take a leap of faith. You know, kind of art asks you to do that in a way. Maybe that's part of what, like, these playgrounds and interactive things are doing. And then you trust the artist. You're like, you want to trust that. Maybe that's, that's the... The most significant thing that this art, place, the place making is doing is yeah. sort of uh, encouraging people to be trusting and uh, mm -hmm. and uh, impulsive or something, a safe space. I think I've heard it, it's in that comment and so many other comments, um, a good setup for our, our conversation next week, which is all about partnerships. And creative placemaking isn't a solo practice. It's better when we do it as a team. It's better when we do it as a group. So I hope you'll come back because we need more of this dialogue. I know we can keep talking and talking and talking, but I want to make sure we get you out of here too. But keep this dialogue. I hope you'll exchange information with one another. Let's exchange information. Come back and talk partnerships. We're going to talk funding, the fourth workshop. So if you're like, how do I write it? We won't teach you how to write a proposal, but we'll talk about writing proposals and best practices and less than good practices. And then the fourth one, again, ties into what we've been talking about, which is all about program evaluation. It's very heady sounding, but what it basically boils down to is, is like, how do we decide if we're hitting the goals and the objectives we want as artists and as practitioners? And how do we change it? And how do we allow that information that we're collecting to stimulate and impact work that we do going forward. So um, I hope you come back for each of those. Shona, before I close out, yes. Uh, hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. I'm the programs manager at She Q. is awesome. So Q, <laughs> Q Art Foundation, check them out. Check them out. Uh, I'll be sending everyone uh, who signed up a, um, a feedback um, email tomorrow. Um, and it, it, this this email is really short. We just want to get your thoughts on this workshop and so we can improve them for the future. Um, and also, if you didn't sign up um, on Eventbrite, write down your email address on the piece of paper at the front um, just so we can get your contact details and um, we can stay in touch. But thanks so much, everyone, for coming and, and, and participating in the conversation. I'm and also at Q. I'm Beatrice, and I just want to say I think the next workshop is at Q. It yes. is. Right? Yes. So yes. Just to kind of talk Very about important. place and where to go. Um, so that's on Wednesday, the 28th at yeah. Q. One week, 25th and 7th Avenue in Midtown is where the Q facility is between 6th and 7th yeah. on 25th. And we'll be there again. 6 o'clock, doors open, 6.30 start time. We're talking about partnerships. It's going to be very interactive, so come ready to tell your stories. And uh, is there any homework? Please? There's no homework. Just <laughs> just be yourselves and come see us next week. The fourth one is going to be at the Bronx Museum up in the Bronx, and quite frankly, we did that to spread the love around the borough. So yeah. if you know people up there, please let them know because yeah. the Bronx needs as much love as Brooklyn does. And then for the fifth, we're going to return back to Cube. So um, jump around a little. We're going to jump around. David, Risa, Perrin, Shona, Eileen, who's not here, and to all of you, thanks so much for being here, and we hope you'll come back next week. <laughs>